So this, uh, this series, we're, we're, we're in the season of Lent officially today, and, and Lent historically in the church, it's taken different shapes, but the shape that it kind of solidified into is a 40-day period leading up to Easter, and that that 40-day period was seen as a time of fasting, of a heightened level of spiritual discipline in preparation for worshiping the risen Messiah through Easter. And people fast from different things. They might fast from meat or chocolate or coffee or um, social media and things like that. But the goal of that Lenten time is to say, I'm gonna take an extra look at my life and the decisions that I make and see if there are things in the way of my spiritual sight of being able to see things clearly from the perspective that well that Jesus presented for us in the Gospels. And so this this series that we're embarking on right now is called The Kingdom of Heaven is Near You. And the, the invitation in this series, not just for us in this room, but for those that we would invite into this perspective is to see things through the eyes of Jesus of Nazareth, to see the world in the way that he did. Uh, Jesus showed us what this looked like through his teachings, through his actions, through allegories, through miracles, and he, he makes known to us that the place we are living can, in fact, be seen as the dwelling place of the kingdom of heaven. Part of the thing that Jesus over and over as he encounters people, he does this in different ways, but he invites them into, yes, a conversion experience, an experience that radically shifts and changes the way that somebody sees the world. And I think at different points in our life, we all need this because we, our, our senses get deadened that we become blind or we become deaf or we become mute, we come, become blind to the beauty of others in our lives, of, of the kingdom of heaven in nature, in the world around us. And it deadens our senses. We become deaf because we can no longer speak the good words of God that people need to hear that will lift them up. And, and we become, I said deaf, I meant mute. And we become mute, oh, Oh, what did I say? Anyway, because <laughs> we can't hear. We become deaf because we can't hear what we need to hear from God and from other people. There it is. There's the trifecta of that. So we need, many of us, we need to be born again. And some of you, if you're, you've been at Christ City for a while, you're like, no, Jamin, you don't, we don't say born again here. That's too close to my evangelical roots. But I'm a big proponent of never throwing the baby out with the baptism water. And so there's something, when I examine the life of Jesus, I come to this place where the type of world he's inviting me into, and he's inviting us into this way of seeing God's creation as the kingdom of heaven, that as much as I would like to be able to make that happen on my own, that I need God's help that I need to be changed. I need to be transformed. 
And so we're gonna be exploring that as we realize, as Jesus shows us in these passages, that this kingdom of heaven is not some far off away place or something that we will see coming in the distance. Jesus says, when people ask him about that, he says, actually, the kingdom of heaven is so near, it's within you. So that's where we start this journey this morning in the book of Matthew, the gospel of Matthew, where we see Jesus being tempted to see things from another perspective, a different way other than the kingdom of heaven. And there's a question that is in the subtext and in the text itself that we see over and over in this passage. And it's this question, who's in charge? Who is in charge? Who's in charge of this world? Who's in charge of you? And how do we make decisions based on that? Have you ever thought to yourself, looking at a situation or a scenario, this would be better if I was in charge of it? Yeah. If, if I was the person in charge of that organization or that team or that family, it would be better. Oh, just me, huh? I'm the only one who's ever had that thought. As human beings, we have this incredible capacity to, to produce things in the world that are unique and interesting, that solve problems in a way that no, no other creature on this earth can do. A beaver always builds a dam. A bee always builds a beehive and a colony. But human beings can build all types of things and create all types of variety in this world. But it also means that potential that we have can also be used to create things that are not good and to try to be in control of things that we were never made to be in control of. And so this idea, man, if I was president, whether it be of my local organization or of the entire country, I could fix things. I could sort of make things right. If I could be in charge, if I could step into God's place for a minute, I would snap my fingers and I would solve these problems that are on my mind and my heart. There is a sense in which we move out of the boundaries in which we were created for. And we step into a place where we begin to make harmful controlling decisions. And initially, we don't do this because we're such bad people. We do it because we're afraid. We're afraid that the person or the, the, the organization that's in control is not going to have our best interest at heart. So if we were in control, of course, we would operate in that way. So faced with that decision, Jesus of Nazareth, who grew up in a volatile, uncertain world, faced with the, the opportunity to take control, he rejects it. So I think we should look at why. 
and what that means for our lives and our ability to see the world the way Jesus did so that we can learn how to move from fear leading us to wanna control things to our fear leading us to a place of appropriate faith and trust. This is what the kingdom of heaven is about. It's about a lot of things, but one of the things it's about is being able to respond to a world that's full of uncertainty with trust and faith. So we look at this passage here and we see in verse one, Jesus was being led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. For Jesus to be able to preach this message, this might sound a little strange to some of you, but just give me some time. Just sit with the, sit with the thought here for a moment. Jesus is about to embark on his public ministry where he's going to be teaching. Right after this in the book of Matthew, right next to this passage, Jesus starts talking about the kingdom of heaven, what it's like, who gets what, how people will be provided for, that the kingdom of heaven looks and sounds like this. But there was one stop Jesus had to make before he started that, before he started to, to talk about this kingdom of heaven on earth. And it was a place where he needed for himself to make sure he actually believed his own message. It's a good thing to do. If you got something to say, if you, if you want to tell somebody the way things should be, the way you should see the world, then you're going to have the best luck if you've actually lived that yourself. We've been talking about this in the leadership development cohort, that, that actually the things that you teach the people that you are responsible for caring for, for guiding or leading or who you're in life or community with, the things that you teach them are almost last the words that you say, the lessons that you give to them with your words. But almost all of what you end up teaching them is with actually the life that you live. And so Jesus goes, it says he was, he was led by the Spirit into the desert. And he was tempted to take power and control in ways that he knew he could get his needs met. He knew for sure he would be able to take shortcuts everywhere he needed to to get his needs met, either through being able to produce food out of rocks, that was the first temptation, or to be able to prove to everyone that God was on his side, to stand on the temple, the, the, the image and the symbol of holiness and be able to throw himself off of it and let God just save him, to make this spectacle that no one could deny. And then the, the final temptation, the one that we're focusing on this morning is to just straight up get control over everybody and everything. The same thing we think in our minds. If I could just be in charge of that, I could fix it. I could make it right. I could make it better than that other idiot in charge. And Jesus says no to it. 
And it's then and only then that Jesus can go about with the message, not just on his lips, but in his very person, inside of him, so that everywhere he went with the messages that he preached and the miracles that he performed, there was a sense within him that he believed there was a different way to see the world, a different way to operate, and a different way to live. So, in verse 8, this is the temptation here, the final of the three. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The time of Lent, if we use it for this, it, it, can be, it can be an opportunity to see what motivates us, what controls us, to see what it is that we are afraid of and also what we actually trust in to deal with our fears. This is the opportunity with the discipline of fasting. Man, and I hate it. I hate fasting so much. It, it's, 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 it takes discipline. And it's no different than, than the discipline of a baseball player, actually. Right? Anybody play baseball? Play baseball growing up or whatever? I bet uh, sporty play maybe one day, some softball, something like that. Yeah. Um, when I was a kid and I was, I was learning baseball, uh, I had to have hundreds of pitches thrown to me or in a batting cage so that I could get practice being able to actually see the ball, actually see the ball and line up my bat with the ball so it would make contact. Anything that we want to grow and progress in, it requires some discipline to change the way that we see things to change what we are able to perceive. Anybody ever seen that video where that reporter is talking to this baseball player and he hears the bat crack and he turns around and the ball's coming right at him and the reporter and he just reaches out his hand and snatches it. What if there could be aspects of your spiritual life that were like that? Things that would otherwise smack you in the head and you would be disoriented, confused, and wouldn't know what to do next and harmed. What if some of those things could become, no, I got that. This is what we see Jesus engaging in here is, is growing in his experiential awareness of what it means to trust in the kingdom of heaven. It's the journey we all go on. The biblical word for this is often called sanctification. And we see this actually in the story of Genesis that we just read aloud. In the, in the beginning of the story of Genesis, Adam and Eve are innocent meaning that they have not had to experience difficulties where they had to make choices one way or the other in what their life would be like. They didn't need, they didn't have to develop discipline. They didn't have to trust in 
light of things that were fearful. And then they come to this crossroads as every human being does as they grow up where they start to realize this world that I've trusted in so naively and innocently is filled with danger. It's filled with uncertainty that actually if we knew when we were two or three years old how screwed up our parents were, we might have starved to death because be like, I don't know, bro. I don't know about where you got those Cheerios from. Like, I'm kind of skeptical. So we move into life through this period of innocence, and then we come to this crossroads. Hey, you know what? You're not actually in charge. If God's in charge, why is all this stuff going wrong the way it is? Maybe you should be in charge instead. Maybe you shouldn't trust anybody, or maybe you should just trust that one person who sounds really proud of what they believe. Maybe that one person knows what's all going on, and maybe you should just throw your whole lot in with them. That charismatic leader, that never happens to us, never happens to our country at all. And so Jesus is going through this process of moving into a world of conflict. I wonder what he saw. I wonder what he saw when the adversary, that's, the, that's the, the literal description of the word Satan. It's not like a dude with a pitchfork. It's like the pure representation of everything that is against what is good. Saying to Jesus, you could be in charge of all this. I'm sure he saw the glitter and the lights the flags, but I bet he also saw lots of terrible things going wrong. And he imagined what it would be like if he could just boop Caesar gone, right? right? The the terrible um, venture capitalists, boop, gone. Just make the world right. Howard Thurman that I mentioned earlier in his book, he talks about this process that we all go through, that in a sense we we see Jesus going through, we see Adam and Eve going through here about this movement out of innocence. We can't go back to being innocent, you know that? But we can move forward into goodness and righteousness. This is what he says. Howard Thurman, that is, a child is innocent, but a person who has learned how to winnow beauty out of ugliness, purity out of stain, tranquility out of tempest, joy out of sorrow, life out of death, only such a person may be said to be good, but that person is no longer innocent. So this is, this is the dilemma. You know, Jesus says, you have to become like a child. Remember that? To enter the kingdom of heaven. So the, the, the rub is, how do we become like a child in being able to trust, to being able to imagine that 
this world is the space of the kingdom of heaven? How do we do that with all of the hurt and the cynicism and the fear that we have learned since we've become an adult? This is the very real essence of the grappling of our faith. The painter Picasso said this interesting quote in terms kind of like this in his painting. He said, it took me four years to paint like Raphael. He's a famous, famous Renaissance painter. He said, it took me four years to paint like Raphael, but a lifetime to paint like a child. This movement of innocence to goodness. Uh, Jesus here is taking the same path that we take. He's taking the same path as the Israelites in the desert, just like the Israelites, 40 days, 40 years. And actually all of his responses to the adversary comes from that moment in the life of the Hebrew slaves who were freed by God and wandered in the desert. All of them come from the book of Deuteronomy that retell this tale. So Jesus takes the same path as Adam and Eve, the same path as the Israelites, and he's tempted. He's tempted to abandon the trust and the faith and say, I just got to take control of this. I got to get it right. But he doesn't do it. He doesn't do it. <laughs> uh, I've told this story once before, but one time we were, we were driving to the airport years ago and, and Benjamin, my, my oldest son, I think he was probably like five or six at the time. And we had the air conditioning on and it was hot in the summer and he wanted it different. Whatever it was, he wanted it different and he wanted to control, you know, the van had those like back dials where you could control the passenger side. And he was really mad he couldn't control it. And he said, when I become a grown up, I'm gonna do the air conditioning the way I wanna do it. I was like, you, you go for it, Benjamin, but there's gonna be other things on your mind, man. There's gonna be other things on your mind, like taxes. And he's like, what are taxes? I'm like, oh, you'll find out. You will find out. So how, do we, how do we move into this space where we keep this childlike wonder and trust and not succumb to the temptation to try to control it all, to try to take control of all of it. Not just let me speak to the manager, but I want to be the manager. So Jesus makes the choice. Here's what's important. Jesus makes the choice we didn't know was possible to make to have access to all the power and control, to control every air conditioning knob there was, and to say, actually, I'm gonna stay right here in my lane, and I'm gonna be able to pronounce something about this world, this world full of uncertainty and ambiguity. I'm actually going to be able to say there is a kingdom of heaven here. That man does not live by bread alone. So, in verse 10, Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Jesus 
meets this fear of being out of control with its only antidote, faith and trust. He's, he moves from thinking control is the answer to trust, from demanding things to inviting people into things. He moves from brute force to love. He, he moves from wallowing in anxiety to asking for help. When we serve God, as Jesus said, we live in a reality and a world full of opportunities to trust and to have faith. The question that the Israelites had when they were wandering in the desert, is God with us or not? Is God with us? That's what they asked Moses. Is God with us or not? If God was with us, we wouldn't be hungry right now. We wouldn't be thirsty. And as soon as they got the chance, as soon as they got the chance, they said, you know what? Maybe we can't be in charge, but hey, Samuel, this prophet Samuel after Moses and Joshua, those guys, here comes Samuel. And they say, Samuel, give us a king. We gotta have somebody in charge. We gotta be able to blindly put our trust and our faith in somebody rather than trust God. And God's answer was basically, uh, I'm not gonna read the scriptures it's in, in, in uh, uh, 1 Samuel 8, but um, God says, Here's, tell, go back, Samuel, tell the people this. The king's gonna take advantage of you. He's gonna take your stuff. He's gonna take your people. He's gonna take the best of your crops. He's gonna take all that kind of stuff. And it's, you're not gonna like it. And the people were so afraid that they said, just give us a king anyway. So this Lenten series, what I'm hoping for myself and for us is that rather than give in to the fear and isn't there so much to be afraid of, that we understand Jesus not as impervious to these things. It says he was tempted. He was tempted, which means he was considering doing this because it seemed like it could be a better way to go, a better idea. But he chose not to and still was able to proclaim the kingdom of heaven that's at hand. That gives me a lot of hope. That if somebody I know is getting evicted, that the kingdom of heaven can still be near. That if I'm struggling in my marriage, that the kingdom of heaven can still be near. It can still be right here, sitting next to me in the pew. That if I'm, I'm confused about the next steps, about where this world is going, about earthquakes and dictators and elections, that the kingdom of heaven can still be near. Jesus was able to do that. He was able to embrace this kingdom. It was a kingdom of abundance. Not, he didn't need to turn bread to stone because he knew that he didn't live only by the sustenance that was available to him. He didn't have to hoard the resources like the Israelites thought they needed to do. He didn't need to convince people instantly of who he was by jumping off of the temple and proving to everyone that he was God's guy, that the kingdom of heaven could speak for itself.
Once on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say here it is or there it is because the kingdom of God is in your midst. And when we look at those words in your midst, literally in the Greek, there are two words there and they say within you. Jesus wasn't saying that because it sounded nice or poetic, although it does, but because he had lived it. He had lived it. The one person who, if was given all authority and control and power, could have used it properly, said, nope, that's not, that's not my lane. That's not the message I'm here to preach. It's a message of trust, not control. I, I've, I've been trying just to, to get a pulse on this for so many years. It, 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 it's just, it seems too good to be true. It seems paradoxical. It seems frustrating that the kingdom of heaven is so near that it's within me. So Howard Thurman, his quote, remember he said, that is a child is innocent. Same quote, but a man who has learned or a person, he wrote in time, I was always man, a person who has learned how to know beauty out of ugliness, purity out of stain, tranquility out of tempest, joy out of sorrow, life out of death. Only such a person may be said to be good, but he's no longer innocent. We can't be a child again. We can't be naive. And the reason why I'm reading you this quote as we close right now is because faith and following after Jesus is not about being naive. It's about coming into an understanding of the world, volatile, unsafe, uncertain, ambiguous, complex, and saying, how can I learn to trust? How can I learn to have faith instead of seeking to control it all? May God help us see that the kingdom of heaven is near. Let's pray. Oh, creator God. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Give us mouths to speak your good word, your good gospel. Amen.